Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. We are launched on a process of profound change, a total range global transformation. The crisis we have been experiencing is driving us to change whether we wish it to or not. Our choice is not whether, but how to change. Our guest today will encourage you to look at the dawn of a better world and your role in building it. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce our guest, Dr. Irvin Laszlo, author or editor of more than 70 books, has published in excess of 400 articles and research papers including six volumes of piano recordings. Generally recognized as the founder of systems philosophy and general evolution theory, he was twice nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. He serves as the founder and president of the Club of Budapest and was past president of the International Society for the Systems Sciences. And welcome back to our show, Irvin. Julie, it's wonderful to be here. Wonderful to give to be talking to you. Thank you. Well, I am like wondering how we can pack all of this goodness into a short time today. And I don't know that we can. So I'm just going to dig right in here, Irvin, because I really want to to ask you so many things. I'm really loving this new book of yours, Global Shift Now. But first, I'm going to start with our traditional question. You've answered it before, but I want to ask you from the perspective of, of this global shift, what does all things connected mean? Well, it means that we are not alone. We are in something that joins us with others. We are now in a shift which encompasses the entire human family. And because we are such a force, the primary force in the, in the biosphere, it also affects all forms of life, at least higher forms of life on Earth. And to be connected means that we are together and that we are in the problems together. We are also in the solutions. And we have to learn that and go forward together. To be connected means to be really enjoy the fact that we are part of something greater than each of us. Mm. Beautiful. So this this global shift involves all aspects of life, like you're talking the entire human family, but also all life on this planet. And often we look at just one area and see the dire need for change, like climate change or cultural unrest or now the pandemic. And you bring in the coronavirus as an important piece here. But you caution us not to look towards solving just one of these issues, that we have to look at the whole. Can you expand more on that? What this time is really about whole systems change, not just kind of trying to make things better in one area. Well, if truly the whole system is changing, we have to make sure that the change is for the better, better for life. 
better for the flourishing of life. It's not a question whether you, you change the whole or the part. If we are part of an interconnected system, where interconnection is basic, as you say, then it doesn't help to change one part, because we don't know then the consequences on the other parts. If we, if we would be separate, then we could somehow manipulate some part. It's like if the bicycle, the, the one part breaks down a pedal or a, or a gear or a steering bar, you put it on another one. But we are not a bicycle. We are not a, a, a mechanical system, of even of a very complex kind. Even though now the, with the experience of the latest cars or the new cars, you can't just change one thing. Sometimes we complain about that. There's something wrong with the lights, then you have to change a whole, whole set of, of systems. And, uh, uh, and you have to go to the technician. You can't do it like you used to do before. Anyway, the, this we are part of a whole system. And the approach to the whole system is what is known in philosophy and in science and also in metaphysics as holism. Holism means that you take into account the whole, which is the primary reality. The part is just, just what it is, a part of a whole. And there is something really to learn from this. Because if it is true that all parts are together in the whole, then we have to make sure that the whole system works well, that it flourishes. Because if it does, then the part that's part of it then also does well. But the contrary doesn't necessarily hold true. In the ideal world, the part and the whole would coincide entirely. But in an imperfect world, especially in the short term, what is good for the part is not necessarily good for the whole. It could be that it's good for the part in the short term, but it creates untenable conditions, negative conditions in the whole, in, in, in the environment of that part, in the rest of that system. So it's called, in the, in the system sciences, we talk about sub-optimizing the system. We have to optimize the whole system, not a part. Unfortunately, politics and uh, and management today tends to focus on a part, on me, on mine. This is my enterprise. It is my city. It is my country. And I want to do, do that, and I don't really, I'm not really concerned with the others. That's the old management philosophy, and it's the old political philosophy, and you better not pursue that. The new system, the new philosophy, the new thinking is... We have to make sure that the whole is coherent, that all the parts work together. And this is not just imagination. The new biology tells us that every part of the system needs to function for the whole system, for a living system to function. Every cell, every organ has to play its role. If any part doesn't work, then the whole system is defective. And it shows the consequences, the symptoms. What is actually malady in that sense? I'm using now in, as an example, the health as an example of the society. Malady is a breakdown of the coherence in the whole system. Some parts work, some parts don't work. And it's the parts that are disconnected from the whole, that are not really have that connection which is vital for life or survival. 
if that takes place and that part only concerns, is concerned with our own interest, then it can also kill the whole. That's the case with the disease that we know as cancer. A cancer cell, or a group of cells, cancerous group of cells, multiplies on its own. If it's good for it to multiply and every living system is oriented toward growth, but if it's an undifferentiated growth, separated from the rest, then it grows at the expense of the whole system. And that can be fatal for the whole system, as we well know. So let's learn from that. The organism of a the, of the living body is one kind of whole system. A society is also a whole system. We are societies on Earth. The community of human life on Earth is also a whole system. The web of life is a whole system. So look at it differently. Not an ensemble of separate parts, but a whole made up of interconnected parts. Just as you say in your show, everything is connected. And we have to treat it as connected. And then we have to look at the whole, not ignoring the part, taking account of it, but knowing that if we really want the good of the part, we have to ensure that the whole in which it exists is coherent, that it is truly a working whole. Mm. So, you know, I, I'm going to deepen into this then, because as we look at all, the, the whole is coherent. We have to make sure the whole is coherent. And there is a lot of resistance to change. And you give us this imagery of bifurcation. And I think it's really helpful for our listeners that this is a radical forking in the evolutionary trajectory of a complex system. You write. And so let's talk about the radical, that this is a place we have never been before. This is not just another turn around the wheel. This is not just, this is not just a, let's change a few things and see what works or see what feels good. But this is radical transformation of all the social systems, like you mentioned, as well as a radical transformation of ourselves. How do we, um, I'll use the words of, of our mutual friend, Barbara Marks Hubbard, how do we gentle this birth, Irvin, when we look at this being radical, this is a bifurcation in this evolutionary trajectory. We're going in a whole new way now. What would that look like? And how do we quell the fears of those looking, saying, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't, I, you know, where do we go? I don't know. How do we quell the fear and really look into this bifurcation in a healthy way and begin to build this new world we all know is possible? Well, we should realize that a bifurcation is a process which creates change, forces change, but it doesn't predetermine the nature of the change. It can go this way or that way. It can go to break down or to break through. Now, the fear is that it goes to break down, but the prospect is deeper, the deeper prospect that we can break through because it's at the same time a bifurcation is a key to a transformation. It's a key to creating a better world because things are not the way they used to be before. If you create an unsustainable world, the more you support that world, the more you try to stabilize it, the bigger the problem. Because if it's intrinsically unsustainable, 
And you have to change the entire logic of the system, the dynamic of the system. You have to make it sustainable in that case. Now, we can do this because there is something in us which is opting toward, opting for, which is pushing us, impelling us toward integration, toward belonging, ultimately toward love, but that's the highest expression of it, the most explicit expression of it. But there is, it would be funny to call it love of, of the electron to the proton and the neutron in the, in the nucleus of a hydrogen atom. But the hydrogen atom attracts the electron and it creates a space for it. All electrons that join the atom create, have their own space. They don't coincide with each other. They don't confront each other. The, an atom, particularly a heavier atom, a complex atom, is a, is a highly coherent system. It's, it's, a, it's a basis for building molecules and crystals and cells and organisms. It can only be built because there is this coherence. This coherence is built into the world. If we didn't have this drive toward coherence, the world would be more or less what it was 13.8 billion years ago when we believe the evolutionary process of our universe has started after the Big Bang, or at the moment of the Big Bang, then the processes which create the world have started. And these processes are not random. If they would have been random, there would still be inert gases in the world and nothing else. But we have highly organized, coherent world. Einstein said that the most miraculous thing about the world is that it's coherent, that it's comprehensible. If it was chaotic, we, 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 we wouldn't be able to comprehend it. We wouldn't be able to grasp it. There would be nothing rather than something. Why is there something rather than nothing? The answer now from science is because there is a drive, an evolutionary drive toward coherence, toward the integration of part with part, toward the creation of whole systems made up of the integral relationships of parts. That is the recognition. There is call it a divine drive, call it a metaphysical drive, but it appears to be also a physical drive. There is something in the world which opts for and pushes us toward integration, toward the creation of wholes made up of the relationship of parts. That is the way the world is working. And if it wasn't working, we wouldn't be here to talk about it. Yeah. We are incredible complex and coherent systems. And our health depends on maintaining this coherence. Our evolution depends on deepening this coherence. So the key word is this. It's no longer just metaphysics. It is, in a way, religion. It is, in a way, spirituality. But it's also science. The world is not a chance assembly of, of non-connected, uh, separate parts. It's an integral system of which we are a part. Is that knowledge in us and for us, we know that there is something which gives us the force. The force, as the young people say, is with us. It's in us, every cell in our body. We just need to recognize it and use it. We are together part of a coherent evolutionary process. So that in itself, Irvin, it was one of my favorite quotes in the book. And um, 
I, I really appreciate how you talk about that force, how you're talking about that there's this dynamic that's encoded in us, that this is that, I'm going to assume this is that evolutionary drive, that evolutionary impulse, as you say, driving us toward greater coherence, greater harmony, greater wholeness. And I'm just wondering, um, you you said something really important, I think, in this in this quote that when that force or when that dynamic reaches our consciousness, it inspires us to strive for coherence. So what does it mean about reaching our consciousness? How do, how would you interpret that for a listener? Well, it's connecting, connecting to ourselves, becoming more what we truly, truly are. We are a wholeness oriented being. We are part of a wholeness-oriented universe. This universe is, is not all there is in the world. It has born at a given time. It's evolving. We do not know exactly whether it evolves to an infinite expansion in space or, or will, will, will return to, a, to the smallest possible point of a quantum point. And then very likely we'll, we'll restart again in a cyclic level. But there is something in the world which is not passive, not me mechanical which is oriented, which is driving, and is driving us, driving us and driving all things in it toward this integration, toward this belonging, which is expressed as love, but which in science we can talk about is the coherence of one part with another part. Yeah, Irvin. Together. The resonance of one part with another. Yeah, yeah. So with that impulse moving on, I had a, I had a moment reading your book that really jolted me. <laughs> I had this moment because like I'm, I'm imagining this evolutionary impulse that's bringing us into greater coherence and what have you. And then you talked about cultures and on page 31, you describe how new cultures can be created at the periphery and move toward the center. And then you say there's a plethora of new cultures about to be born and some hold greater promise than others. And I just read through that like, oh, yeah. And then you described the new culture that has a, a really good chance. And I'm like, yes, that's the one. That's the one. But then I sat with that phrase for a couple of weeks now and I, I went back to that idea that there's a plethora of new cultures about to be born and how some hold greater promise than others. Can you say more about the plethora of cultures? I'm just imagining up until this point, the last 30 years, maybe the last 50 years of my life, I've imagined us coming into this culture of that, that follows that natural impulse. But you do speak of this trajectory, this bifurcation of it could go this way or that way. But speak more about the plethora of new cultures about to be born. Well, this is the creative diversity that is so necessary for progress, so much a part of healthy evolution. It's a recognition now for the past 10, 20 years maybe, that evolution is not the, the simply the change of a gene or the ruling part of a system, of, of, a, of a population, for example, the dominant part, changing and, and, and pushing the rest to change. Evolution is really the creative diversity that exists in the periphery of a system. The center very seldom actually truly changes and pushes the rest of the system to change. The center tends to preserve its own 
its own base as a center, as its own in a human system, as its own wealth, its own power. What changes is in the entire system this creative, creative chaos, the creative, creative seeking for harmony, the creative interaction between a plethora of, of different, different cultural initiatives, starting from the native, from the indigenous cultures, starting from what has been in the classical times, whether it's the Buddhist culture, the Hindu culture, or, or even the Muslim culture, of course, the Christian culture. The great religions are expressions of this. There's also the animistic cultures of Africa, and the other indigenous cultures. These all are giving us diversity, but they all start and they all, when they truly recognize each other, truly live up to their potential, then they are driving that group of people, that set of societies, toward integration, toward harmony with each other and with the world around them. There is, of course, a lot of conflict. There is also violence in the world, and it's history. And history, unfortunately, the historiography, the writing of history tends to concentrate on the surface of what kings and generals uh, and leaders of all kinds are doing, and they usually use it force to do what they want to do. But that there could be societies constantly existing and evolving, moving from one place to another, getting larger in the process, getting more adapted to each other, expressing themselves more. And that's that process is healthy and, and is not overblown, it's not doesn't override its own confines, then that's the evolutionary way. Now we have divorced ourselves from this evolutionary drive of allowing the diversity of cultures, the creative chaos that always exists, to that which move toward the center and see which will so-called nucleate, which will blow up and become the new center, become the new system. That's a process we need to allow to, to happen. Today, there is so much of this plethora of, of new ideas. People are talking about, just look at the social media. Uh, who, whenever, wherever people think and talk about the, the future, about themselves, they envisage it somehow, and they try to envisage it in a new way. Of course, which way would we really be surface and become the leading, the dominant way is not decided yet. And we don't know that why we are in the midst of the seeming chaos. But underneath it all, there is this force, this force that driving us, so recognizing that we are part of a larger whole, recognizing for empathy, for sympathy, for oneness, and for love. These are the driving forces that are there in the atom, in the molecule, and in the galaxy. And mm -hmm. it's there in the living world, and it's there in us, we just need to tap it. We need to connect back, as I said in one of my recent books, we have to reconnect to the source. The source is us. Mm. Irvin, thank you. That was beautiful. And we just have a, a minute left, but it reminds me of, I just want to drop this in and get your brief reaction to this to inspire our listeners. I had a mentor who challenged me saying, Julie, lead more from the front because I'm used to holding in the collective and trying to work with collective intelligence and leading forward. And she said, lead more from the front. And I've been thinking about that. And then I thought, I had a new, new thought, a new conclusion. And 
I defined evolutionary leaders as not leading from the front or leading from behind, but leading from the heart at that creative evolutionary edge that you speak of. So in 30 seconds or so, could you um, just respond to that idea for the leaders who are listening here today and maybe give them um, one last call to action? You know, what comes to mind as you speak is this analogy that in thermodynamics and in, in, in organic chemistry is very much in the front. When you have a super saturated solution, which is ready to, 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 to change, ready to, to take a new shape, transform, then it's enough to have the simplest, smallest drop, a little impetus, and the solution will suddenly change. And that is what is happening today. We are in, in an entirely, extremely fertile time when we are ready to change. We are asking, we are seeking how to change. And for that, it's enough to put in a job, a little spark, the right impetus. You can do it operating through the public media. It's a wonderful way to operate with the key question, with the key idea of connectedness. That idea, if you, if you keep emphasizing, if you keep putting it in, it'll nucleate. It'll blow up and create a dynamic that can take over the, the, the direction of the system in which it evolves. That's the way systems evolve, through little fluctuations. It's called the thermodynamics, a fluctuation mm -hmm. system. When a system is ripe for it, and the bifurcation is ripe for it, then the system evolves by picking up and growing on the basis of the small little input, a butterfly effect, a little wing fluctuation of a wing of a butterfly that creates a typhoon in time, it blows up. Mm. That's the promise and that's the possibility of our time. Our task is to make the right impulse, to bring, to bring that right spark at the right time. Connection is the right impulse. Talking to people who are open to it is the right time and the right way. So I'm extremely thankful to you and uh, very much recognizing the tremendous potentials of what you are doing and what we can be doing by discussing these ideas. It's all there. It's all in our hand. And it's time is now to make use of it. Mm. Beautiful. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. You can find more about this show. Share it widely at thedrjulieshow.com. Also find Irvin at lasloinstitute.com. And remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <laughs>